again. Good, good morning. Um, welcome to again to Calvary Dairy Hill. Dave, pastor here, and it's good to, to gather and worship. One um, quick thing that I wanted to, to mention, just an added bonus announcement, um, that I think we maybe do have it in the weekly, but the Longs Peak Baptist Association, kind of a larger association of, of churches in northern Colorado that we're a part of, they have a um, annual meeting coming up. I know that doesn't sound exciting, um, but um, they, there's a couple additions to that. It'll be at Bent Tree, um, which is here in Loveland, and at 2.30, um, Frank Tremble, I think some of us know Frank, some more than others, um, um, so Frank, he'll be doing a seminar on family discipleship at 2.30, like 2.30 to, I don't know, about 3.30, so in there, so that'll be good, and then at 3.30 to 5.30 is the meeting, and there's a meal afterwards, and you are welcome to that, to come and join us. And also Wade Williams, who's preached here a couple times, he'll preach um, during that time, that meeting as well. So we'll have some more, maybe next week we'll, we'll put together a little flyer, just a little more information so you are well informed, so you'll know what's going on with, with that and with that meeting coming up. Um, well, as we begin, uh, one thing that we've done a few times in the last month is just take a, a moment, a quiet minute. Um, I don't say a silent minute because um, it's hard to, to just have silence when you have kiddos and different things going on, which is great. It's okay. But just a quiet minute before the Lord. And I have a, a couple verses, I think. Anthony, you can back it up just Probably many of you are familiar, not all of you, I'm sure, but familiar with a Christian music artist called, his name is Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's been around for a little while. I can remember in the 90s, he was pretty popular. I remember in youth group, we had a, a poster of Stephen Curtis Chapman on our wall. He had this great mullet, and he looked, he looked, he would, he'd be really fashionable now if he still had that, but, um, but maybe you know a little bit, too, of his story. Um, he's one who has had some highs and some, some deep lows as their family. Their family who've done a lot of work also in China, and they, they have an um, orphanage that they've sponsored and, and they have in China, which is amazing that they have, and they've adopted a, a few, a couple, couple girls, maybe two or three um, from China. Um, but they did have a, just a tremendous dark sorrow. Um, it was back, I think it was in 2008, because I believe we were going through our training to go overseas, so I kind of remember that point, um, and hearing about how one of his, his kids was in a tragic accident, one of his younger daughters who was adopted from China, um, and that uh, one of their boys, and I think they're pulling back out of the car, and they don't even know all the details, and it's all still kind of fuzzy in the family's mind, but um, their daughter was hit and, and died. And it took him through just this deep valley. And if you follow his songs and his albums, it, you can see that deep valley that he walked through in his, in his family. And um, they wrestled through that. And they, they went through things they never thought they would go through. And a couple years ago, I believe, he um, wrote an autobiography that came out. And I listened to it on, the, on an audio tape. or Not audio tape. I, <laughs> You know what I mean, an audio, on my phone, it was an MP3, you know. Um, <laughs> I remember listening to his albums uh, on tape years ago in my, my 81 Mustang, it was pretty cool. Anyway, okay, back on the track, okay, so, um, audiobook. So, um, but he takes you through this journey, 
and our family, then we listened to, to it all together. And it's about time to listen to it again. It's a good story of just God's faithfulness. But he begins the book, and he talks about um, growing up in, in Kentucky and going to Paducah, um, Kentucky, where they had an amusement park. I know we've had, we've had um, roller coaster illustrations the last two weeks. We've got to get back to it. And um, they had a little amusement park, and he talks about how one year they, they had a, a new ride called the Wild Mouse. Um, wild Mouse, you can tell it must have been an amazing roller coaster, the Wild Mouse. But he writes this as, as a boy, um, how he felt about it. He said, finally, the day came to face my deepest fears and stare death in the face of the wild mouse. <laughs> I boarded with a prayer and the ride began. I twisted and turned and dipped and bumped, screaming and laughing the whole time. And I lived to tell about it. And if you asked me back then, Stephen, have you ridden a roller coaster? I would have pumped my chest and replied, oh, yeah, I've ridden the wild mouse. Um, then he talks about a couple years later where they go to St. Louis, go to Six Flags in, in St. Louis, and they go on the Screaming Eagle, another wooden roller coaster. Now they have the boss that has kind of replaced it, but the Screaming Eagle, and he goes on that, and he talks about how he, he rode uh, the Screaming Eagle. And he says, the Screaming Eagle was behind me. I had conquered it. It was awesome. And best of all, it was over. <laughs> I wasn't about to get back in line for that ride. But then he just goes and just talks about the highs and lows and valleys in this life that we just don't know. Sometimes we think we're on a roller coaster, but we're really on that wild mouse. <laughs> and then we end up, we're on the, the screaming eagle. And we're like, how are we going to walk through this? And even in this psalm, there's a sense where the first um, six eight verses, there's this prayer, it's a little bit of the wild mouse, and then we dive deep in to a point where it seems like all is lost in the prayer of the psalmist, and in the midst of this, uh, we don't know when life is going to quickly move us from that that wild mouse to the the screaming eagle, Uh, and we need to be actively just entrusting ourselves into our God who is a rock, who's the living God, who is the steadfast, loving God. And be reminded and encouraged to entrust ourselves to him. So we'll continue to follow this psalm and, and see these prayers in this psalmist in the midst of a roller coaster of life and trial and even enemies just coming against him. He seeks to entrust himself to God even when all seems lost. So as we begin, verses 9 through 13, there's a call to entrust our life to God with with all, when all feels lost, both physically and spiritually and relationally, call to entrust yourself to him. It begins, he just says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. So he says, be gracious, be kind, be merciful. I'm in the midst of distress and trial, I'm troubled, I'm in need. And he just prays this prayer, oh God. Be gracious to me. Show your grace. Show your mercy. Um, Those are packed into that word. He says, my eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sign. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. So we just see the deepness of the the struggle. And we read just a struggle of, of both body and soul. And we feel the weight of it. It says, my eyes have wasted from grief. 
Another translation says, my tears have blurred my eyes. It's just a weariness, a sorrow, the grief where it just cries so much. It's just eyes feel just wasted away. Not just eyes, but then this is body and soul as well, just wasted away. And literally this the idea of body is that word for belly, and it represents the body. But we can understand that sorrow of, of belly, you know, that even when we, we're wasted away, it impacts all of us. And this word wasted, it's a word that means consumed or weak or wearied. I don't know what's in your translation there. But the Old Testament um, scholar Alan Ross, he says that this verb expresses essentially that he's, he's falling apart. It's used, a word used for garments falling apart in pieces from us, from use, or from being moth-eaten. So clothes just wearing away that have been worn so much. And I, I don't know about you, I have a shirt from, that's about 20 years old from Peru, this t-shirt that I just love, and Kelly will not let me wear it out in public. <laughs> There's a little see-through. Just one day she's like, I think I could see through that shirt. I was like, okay, I won't wear it out anymore. But we know that. So just wearied, wasted away, or it's just falling off. is just weary. And not just one day of this, but, but years of this. My years were sighing. Just a struggle um, that he's walking through here. And then it also says, my strength fails because of my, my iniquity. Another translation says, sin has drained my strength. I'm wasting away from within. So David even sees how his departure from God's will and his ways have also caused um, brokenness and greater suffering upon him as well uh, he's, as he's departed from the Lord. But two, we, we'll see that there's still redemptive purposes. God's still at work in the midst of this. And I know some of you, I'm sure, have walked through sorrow like this, or maybe you're in the midst of it, or maybe it's just a little ways away on, on either end uh, of your journey with in this life, in the journey with the Lord right now. Um, there may be days where, where you've been just wearied with sorrow, where you're like, I don't even know the last day I didn't weep. Or maybe you wake up and your, your pillow is wet from tears and you don't even know when you began or started crying, and you, you know that. And this extreme sorrow and trouble and distress is not foreign to God's word. It's not also not foreign to God's people and the experience of God's people, we walk through difficulty. And even in the psalmist, I think some of it, what we hear here is not, you're not alone in that. And the Lord is being gracious to us and saying we can walk through this with the, the Lord. And we're reminded, too, that we're not in control, <laughs> that God is. And we also know that suffering, um, it's not the end destination. That's not the end destination of these psalms, nor is it of our life. It's not even a detour. That's uh, what God's doing, um, and he'll bring redemptive purposes out of it. A couple weeks back, I mentioned um, that I was reading through Lamentation and, and talked about chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It's a similar kind of um, saying. It says, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so my hope so is my hope from the Lord. Just a feeling of just utter despair. Even hope. He's despairing of hope at this point in Lamentations. And maybe a little bit here in the psalmist. But we don't stop there. So we pray. And say, be gracious. Be gracious. Now you might think, so this is a psalm of King David. One of the greatest kings of Israel. Maybe, I guess, the greatest king. 
King David. And you might say, well, if he was a king, he probably, he probably didn't really have it all that bad. Um, he didn't know, did he really know suffering? But then we look at the life of David and we're like, yeah, he actually did. You think of first that he was on the run from King Saul for many years. King was almost like a confidant or maybe a mentor of his. And then all of a sudden Saul's throwing spears at him. And maybe you've had those who've been in leadership over you throw spears at you. And so he runs and he goes and he, then he's um, on the run for a while, far from family, far from friends, far from the tabernacle, the place where he could go to worship God and offer sacrifice to him. So he was on the run for years in foreign cities with foreign people far from um, his homeland. And then David also, he knew, knows or knew the rebellion of a child, think of Absalom, who decided he was going to take over the kingdom from David. So he knew that. He understood that. And he also knew the sorrow of his own sin, of being one who was an adulterer that, just, that led also to murder, trying to cover it up. And then he knew the loss of a child. <coughs> he also knew the weight of, of leadership, bad leadership decisions, where he made decisions that ended, um, caused the ending of life of others. Uh, even when he went to the priest um, on his run, where he went and, and visited the priest, and then Saul found out about it, and then Saul had that priest killed. You could know that would weigh on you. And then he knew war. He was in the trenches of war for years to such a point where God did not allow him to build the temple because there was so much blood on his hands. So David knew suffering. So as he writes these things, he is one who knew it probably in a deeper way than, than we may ever feel. And he walked through these things. And then 11 through 13, see, because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the streets flee from me. So he's saying, essentially, everyone um, has abandoned me. Because of the attacks that are coming against me, everyone, neighbor, acquaintance, everyone who sees me, they kind of go the other way. He says, I, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. So he's one who's just discarded. He's damaged goods. And people who pass by just ignore him. For I hear the whisper of many terror on every side as they scheme against me, as they plot to take my life. And then those who are plotting for his death. So here is a picture of just everyone turning away from him and those who are turning toward him or turning toward him to, to end his life. He's alone, even his friends. It's a little bit like Job. I think of Job in the Old Testament where um, everything is taken from him. He's in the moment of sorrow and his friends come and they try to give words of advice, but they're not very helpful. And Job says in Job 19, verse 1 and 2, that Job, he answers his friends and said, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words? And maybe some of you have walked through that where you've gone through sorrow and difficulty and people just kind of turned away. And then I think, too, of this psalm. This is a psalm where it was on the, the lips of Christ, right? Verse 5, in your hands I commit my spirit. And I think of Christ who is one who knew that this type of suffering. Everyone abandoned him. They abandoned, they ran, or they mocked him. As he went to the cross, so we have a God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who understands that type of suffering, that type of abandonment. And we can find comfort from him as the one who is a great comforter. Maybe you felt abandoned at times when you're walking through suffering, and those who don't understand it, instead of trying to understand it, they just abandon you. 
And may we never be those type of people. May we be cautious to, to make a judgment and then depart from that person. But may we be willing to enter into that. And, and then if we've walked through that, to be those who've comforted, who can extend comfort. I love the first chapter of 2 Corinthians where it talks about that comfort. As Paul went through difficulty and received comfort, he wanted to be one who then extends it. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. So may we, we go toward those and even be willing to enter into the suffering of others and not just run and flee when we don't understand it. And may we be slow to point to a cause in someone's suffering as well. Uh, when we lived overseas, you know, it was part of um, Asian culture, like if you were sick or if you had an accident or if you lost a job or whatever it was, they, the first thing they would be was try to judge why that happened to you. And it was always because of something you had done. And they'd be like, well, you probably ate this yesterday or you didn't wear enough clothes or did you do this or that? And I thought it was just our, that culture, but then um, I just... It just dawned on me recently, uh, maybe you guys are part of in your neighborhood, um, next door, it's a social media site for like if something's going on in your neighborhood, now it's just a place to complain, but, <laughs> but, but it, like a lot of times someone will say, well, you know, someone broke into my car, I just want to let people know, and, uh, and there's always someone's going to say, well, well, did you leave your car unlocked, or where did you leave it, you know, I just, there's always like, so we do that too, where we step in and, and try to accuse, and we just need to be slow to step in. We need to be those who listen uh, and are present. And when the opportunity opens, just speak the gospel and to point them to Jesus and remind them that Christ is risen. Uh, but do that with wisdom and discernment, but not abandon those who are walking uh, through suffering as we see the psalmist endure. And then continuing on to verse 14 through 18, we call to entrust our life to the sovereign and steadfast, loving God. Verse 14 says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. So there's this call of confidence where all is lost, and he still musters up by God's grace enough faith to say, I trust in you. And may we, we pray for that. Amen? That we can just pray, Oh God, I trust in you. You are my God. My times are in your hand. My future is in your hand. Charles Spurgeon, he, the preacher of old, he says it this way of this verse. David had the grand resource of faith in an hour of danger. He uttered a glorious claim, the greatest claim man has ever said. I say, you are my God. He that, say, that says, the kingdom is mine, makes a royal claim. He that says, the mountain of silver is mine, makes a wealth claim. But he that can say to the Lord, you are my God, has said more than all the monarchs and millionaires can speak. Who, what more can we have? We do not have the world, but we have the maker of the world. And that is far more. There is no measure of the greatness there's no measuring the greatness of that treasure. Amen? When we can say, God, you are my God. What, 
more can we say? I was thinking about that too this week. I was reading it in Hebrews, just in my Bible reading time, and, and um, it was in chapter 13. And this is verse 5 and 6. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So he says, keep your life free from money. Why? Because we have a God who will never leave us or forsake us. We don't need the wealth of the world. We don't need all of those things because we have God. He is our God. There's an echoing of that in, the, in Hebrews, in the writer of Hebrews. Then continues verse 15. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me within your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go to silent, go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. So here he continues in this cries, my, my times are in your hands, my future, my life, it is in your hands. He's seeking to entrust himself into the Lord, just recognizing these things and calling for the Lord. Just, Lord, may your goodness shine upon me. May your grace, your mercy, your face your presence just shine upon me in the midst of this. Save me. Rescue me. And how? By your steadfast love, that unfailing, never giving up, never stopping love. to save me. Rescue me. In your steadfast love. And he asks that the wicked then be put to shame. He's asking for justice for them. And he makes a petition best again on this love of the Lord and his justice. Trusting in the Lord and his unfailing love. Remembering that he is really one who was part of the covenant, um, the people of God. So we should pray this way, um, resting in the, the steadfast love of our God and be reminding that because of what Christ has done, that, that we are, are rescued and that we do have the great grace of our Savior's face shining upon us. Romans eight fourteen through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God or sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we may cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. May we just be reminded of the grace that's been um, given to us and shed upon us and that indeed our times are in his hands and his, his face has shined upon us that we can have life. Then verses 19 through 22, he continues and we see we're called to entrust our life into the abundant goodness of God. And he breaks forth in praise here. So there's kind of a little bit of a shift as he begins to praise God because he's seeing his goodness. He says, oh, how abundant is your goodness. And that sometimes happens where just praise breaks forth in the midst of our difficulty, even in the midst of times of sorrow and even in prayer. Sometimes we might be just desperate in prayer before God and, and we just know his kindness um, that's near to us. And although 
the trial might not be gone, we, we feel his peace, that peace that passes all understanding. And we see that abundant goodness of our God that he pours out upon us. And so sometimes there, it is that where there's a prayer a few verses earlier, a few words earlier in our prayer. Let's be gracious. My eyes are wasting away. And then finally, oh, your abundant goodness. So we recognize that the Lord is merciful in prayer at times. That his goodness just shines upon us. It's a bit like going back to Lamentation. I read those verses where the, where the, the writer was, um, just felt like he lost all hope. He didn't know the last time he was, had happiness in life. And then a few verses later, he thinks upon truth. He thinks about the hope that he has in God. And he says, verse 21 in Lamentations 3, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So what does he call to mind? Be reminded the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. That's a picture of abundant goodness stored up for us. That it's new every morning. Uh, he can pour it out fresh and new, stored up for those who fear him and work and work. So it's stored up for them and working for them, for those who take refuge in him. So this goodness, beyond measure, stored up goodness that we can bank on in the Lord. Um, Even if our circumstance does not change, he provides daily mercies to enable us to walk through those, that he might do the work that he is doing in us and through us. And when we run to him as a refuge, remember, he's not some cheap paper shade type type refuge (laughs) that we've made on our own. But he's one who has always been and will always be, and we can rest in him who's the provider of abundant goodness. And then um, 20, in the cover of your presence, you hid them. From the plots of men, you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Just that protection, that storing, that, that um, rescue that we see in those verses. And he remembers those things. And then Verses 21 and 23, he looks to the past rescue of God, the past steadfast love of the Lord. As we see, blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Being reminded that the Lord has provided in that, in that trial, in that difficulty. I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but... You heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. So he remembers in past. The Lord is, has provided for him. And it's good for us to be reminded and to remind ourselves, oh, the Lord did provide in that day. Uh, the Lord did provide through that season. Uh, the Lord did give me enough faith for that moment and be reminded of those things. And I think it's good to remind ourselves of that abundant goodness that the Lord has provided and walked us through, even through these difficulties. And then finally, verse 23 and 24, called and trust your life by loving him and waiting for him to strengthen us. Waiting for him in his strength. Same idea. Verse 23 through 24, love the Lord. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays those who act in pride. So there's just this first call, the first call of obedience, just to love God. This foundation of our obedience begins with loving our God. And it's not a hard or a maybe 
a checking off list type of obedience, but called to love Him, love our God. What, what a great invitation. Love this God who is full of steadfast love, the one who, in whom we can trust, the one who has abundant goodness stored up for us and is working for us. Yeah, let's lo- love our God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then Jesus as well echoed these things. As he was asked what is the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 36 through 38. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. For this is a great, the greatest and first commandment. So call to, to love him. So we're called into that as we wait in this, wait in this time of suffering and trials and difficulty. Call to, to love him. A call to, to follow him. And then, two, as we wait upon him, uh, we, are, we, are, we are called to be strong and let our heart take courage as we wait upon the Lord. And as we wait, we anticipate that rescue. And we don't wait in our own strength, but his strength as well that he gives us as we wait upon the Lord uh, to rescue and to um, redeem even that situation we're walking through. But we can wait upon the Lord and be strong and take courage in his strength. So we're reminded uh, to take courage. We're reminded in these psalms uh, just of all these different truths to entrust ourselves to this one true and living and loving God who is a true refuge and uh, a fortress. And we're called to, to anchor uh, just our, our identity of who we are deep down in the steadfast love of God, to anchor our identity deep down and say, you are my God, and, and be reminded and say that we take our refuge in him and that we trust in him and that my times are in your hands and be reminded just even to say and to preach and to, to tell our heart these things because we need to be reminded of these things and anchor ourselves down too in the deep identity that we have in Jesus Christ, one who suffered for us in the cross, on the cross, and even cried out these words of the psalm, into your hands I commit my spirit, but then he didn't stay on the cross but rose again victorious, conquering death and sin, and be reminded that we have new life in Christ and that we can rest in him as one who's, who has said, come to me all you who are heavy laden, weary and heavy laden, and find rest in me and be reminded of the truth of one who cares and calls us to himself. So may we just dig deep in these psalms and be reminded of these truths. I mentioned Stephen Curtis Chapman and how he, they'd walk, their family walked through deep, dark sorrow and struggle. And you, you hear it um, in his songs, in his words. And now, though, he is one who's becoming a great comforter as well. Just recently, I think, um, maybe just a few weeks back, he wrote a new song that was released called Don't Lose Heart. And I think this is one. Sometimes we need to be this person, these people, these type of people. Let me just read some of the words from the song. Another, another sleepless night, praying hope comes with the morning light. Right now, you're feeling like you've lost this fight and fear is screaming out your name. When you say, God, help me, you're wondering if he's even listening. Truth is, I've wondered the same thing, so you don't have to feel ashamed. Let me walk with you through this valley and tell you, all that I've learned to be true. Don't lose heart. 
Don't let, don't you dare let go. I've been where you are. You're not alone. I know it gets dark. I know it gets hard, but you're going to make it home. So don't lose heart. Says, take my hand and know, and I'll show you all the scars that I've, uh, that from where I've been, remind you how we both know how this story ends. I know you'll do the same for me. These afflictions, they're only temporary. They're going to turn to glory beyond compare. So don't lose heart. So just one who's walked through it and walks others through as he points to Jesus, um, that there's this unfading glory that we find um, in eternity with Christ and be reminded of that. May we be those type of people walking with one another. When some of you have walked through that, you can encourage others who are walking through that to not lose heart. May we look to the Lord and be able to together say, say, you are my God. I trust in you. You are my refuge, my rock, and my fortress. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you as we close out our time for the summer and the the Psalms. Lord, we thank you for these words that that do not get old, that they continue to speak fresh and new truth to us. Lord, we thank you that you are our refuge, our rock, our fortress. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you that Our times, our future are in your hands. We pray to you now then, Lord, that you would be our rock, be our refuge, be our strength, and that your face would shine upon us. (coughs) Lord, help us to grow in just rooting our identity in the truth of who you are and your character and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who suffered but rose again victorious. Lord, help us to grow in being those who enter into difficulty and suffering of those around us, not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but those who are far from you, to enter into their suffering. Lord, help us to be prompted to enter in that we might share of the true hope that we have that is unfading. Lord, give us eyes even to see those around us who need to hear of the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Together we will continue. And we celebrate, we remember, we give thanks to all that Christ has done for us. One who indeed did suffer, one who was abandoned, one who was mocked, one who, was, um, who had a, a crown of thorns p- placed upon his head and mocked as one who is supposedly king, but one who indeed was and is king of kings and Lord of lords. And he willingly went and died on the cross for our sins in our place and rose again victorious, and we're reminded of that, that he is our refuge and our rock. He is the one that we rest in. So this morning we come and we celebrate the truth that for sinners Christ died, and that his body was broken when we take of the bread, and his blood was spilt taking of the cup, and we remember together, we celebrate together, we know that the face of Christ um, shines upon us um, as we trust in him. And this morning, if you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you've turned from your sins and you've trusted in him, then then you are welcome to take the the bread and the cup, a couple stations up front and one in the back, and feel free to to take part of the communion with us this morning. Or maybe you know that you're far from the Lord and that you you have not yet trusted in Christ. We ask that you remain seated. And again, as always, um, uh, you're not obligated to come.